1: Okay, ready? Take what you know And it's about a time when you get yourself in a wheel I wanna know something I'll think about Baby, won't you need it? I'll hold in there Things are really now i have you seen you Wanting you, baby hey. That's a ratio. Okay, though. That's a ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked.
0: (laughs) A lot of people who have that success, you know, as children actors, don't become adult stars. So how Mm -hmm. how do you make that transition?
1: The first step that everyone misses is after you have your first hit, that's not the time to relax. It's actually the time to work harder. That's what a lot of people miss. They think, oh, well, I have a hit now. People are asking for me to do things. I don't have to grind the way I used to. More than likely, with the first hit, they're going to be giving you a bunch of offers of things that you've already done. So you end up typecasting yourself by taking those offers. You have to go back to the drawing board and start over. Um, And I know that can be disheartening for a lot of people to hear of like, well, I fought all the way here to get this hit. Right. And now you just now you have to see show them that you can do something outside of that as well. Um, And I think that's the first point a lot of people miss. Um, For me, it was after every big hit, like it's going to happen after this, because it seems like this is a this is a hit, you know, kind of in the making is I'll take a few years to deconstruct my acting that people have seen too much of it. They've just seen too much of it, especially in t v you know when people see you week to week to week to week, if you're doing the same performances in one role and another, they'll see and go, oh you're that's just you, it's not a character, that's just who you are um so you kind of need that time to go away, deconstruct your work, and then come back to the drawing board with something new
0: Tyler James Williams is one of the stars of the hot new ABC show Abbott Elementary, a show that I love and my kids love it too. I love it when we have a show we can all watch together. You know him. He was on Everybody Hates Chris as like a little kid. He was on The Walking Dead. He was in Dear White People, the movie. He has had an extraordinary career already, and he's not that old, and he's a deep thinker and an extraordinary actor. We talk about the child actor trap and how he learned to escape that. We talk about having a police officer father who put him in handcuffs when he was like eight or nine years old so that he could understand what it felt like to be in handcuffs so that he would never do anything that would lead to that. We talk about so much about acting, about the shows he's been on, about his life. (sighs) I was looking forward to this conversation and it did not disappoint. He is deeper than I thought. Let's dig into it. It is Tyler James Williams on Touray show. The show is hot. I love I love Abbott Elementary
1: yeah man it's uh, it's definitely a shot off like a rocket we thought it was good and we thought people would like it but we didn't think they'd like it this much
0: <laughs> I, n- I mean like I- I've, I've watched every episode I'm all in I love all these characters I want to go like full down the road with them and my kids are way into it as well they used to always ask for blackish now they're like yeah. we want to watch Abbott Elementary I'm
1: like what? <laughs> <laughs> well, you get both of us in an hour. You get both of us in the same hour, so they can get both. That's they paired us together. It's great. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, that's what I think. Like you know, really works about this. It allows everyone to sit down again in front of the TV, and that's what network TV is supposed to do.
0: Well, Blackish is multi generational, right? Like I think they thought mm-hmm. it was a kids show because there's kid uh-huh. characters. This, you know, except for the one episode with the, with the with the bad girl, the kids are not characters. It's all just the teachers. Uh, but they, I, they're they way into it.
1: Well, it's about their world. You know what I mean? It's a workplace comedy about a space that they exist in. It's still familiar to them. Um, and I think that's what, you know, makes it really work for them is although they may not fully grasp the, like, nuances of the conversations that the teachers have, and they do know the space. They know what's happening and you know what's going on. Um, and that's the, you know, it's hard finding a, a topic that even kids can relate to. Um, but school is something we all went through. Uh,
0: it's interesting too. It's a black show, but you got enough mm-hmm. white people in the mix that I'm sure a lot of white audiences don't feel, you know, <laughs> like left out. So it's very inclusive.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's the world. I think we're supposed to reflect what the world looks like. That's our job. Um, and you know, when you talk about inner city schools, particularly in Philly, from what I understand, I'm from New York, but you know, there's always those it can be a black school, but there are those two or three white teachers who like they get it, they hear, and you got respect for it. And you're like, you know, they they know just as much about us as we do with them in order to make it. Because, you know, we <laughs> if you don't hit that turnover and you actually come back the next year, then that means you can hang.
0: How did you end up on the show?
1: Um, so Quinta um DM'd me actually during quarantine 2020. I want to say it was like December. Um, And she said that she was pitching this show and was like throwing my name in there. Um, She was like, I hope that's cool. And if you happen to like it, I would love it if you did it. Um, And I was looking for something stable coming after that. I think I was like, I had done a few films that, you know, were great. And, but they just went to really dark places. And I was looking for something light after being stuck in a house. Um, and it just it all came together perfectly. Um, but I was I've been a fan of hers for some time. We've known each other since a black lady sketch show. Um, so when she said she had something, I'm gonna go with the one that my friends are writing, <laughs> other than the other offers that come in.
0: It's interesting though that as an actor, you want to go dark and then light, and dark and then light, right? Like you you did Walking Dead, which I guess is kind yeah. of part of what you're talking about. It's real dark, and so you want to yes. like tone that back but then you know maybe in a couple of years after this you'll be like okay i'm ready to go to the other side again
1: yeah i mean it's just I usually it's how it that's how it works right it is i'll feel like burnt out of one thing and then i'll have to go to the other um we had just finished the united states versus billy holiday in december of 2019 and then three months later pandemic hits so i had kind of just stayed in that you know, this feeling of not being able to go outside This feeling of like, there's imminent danger that's out there um, from that film. And then we had the press run for it and all that. It was just heavy. It was really, really heavy to sit in. Um, So after this probably, or in between this, I'll probably get back into some dark stuff just because too light for too long. I can't, I can't do it. (laughs) But for now, I'm happy to be on this side.
0: This is very Abbott elementary is very dry. You know, and 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 it's mm-hmm. almost like subtle. There's not like big laugh lines. Like you got to be kind of paying attention to the little digs, the little right. jokes, the little tones. How do you guys get into that mode to where it's like you know the the jokes are like just just a look, just a a pause, a phrase, like a mm-hmm. little a little thing.
1: I think it, one part of it is the writing. Right, Quinta has a very high bar for comedy and that's what i love about her which is if i'm not reading it and i don't laugh out loud while reading it then what's the point of shooting it i don't like chuckle laughs and neither does she (laughs) um but i think the next piece to that is everyone in the cast knows how to play their position and their role so well it gives it allows everyone else to play subtly. So there'll be times when you see Janelle James has her foot on the gas, right, and she's driving the energy of the scene. Her being able to do that allows me to suddenly respond to that. Everyone knows what their position is, and we have to play like an orchestra.
0: Yeah, Janelle's energy is very high. Yours yeah. is very like like off off kilter, off beat, like like right. really like you know. There's other right. there's other women on the show who are like. Very energized, Quinta's a little bit like pulling back, mm-hmm. like, like bewildered and yet still hopeful and optimistic. Um, it's an interesting mix. Everybody brings a different energy.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's comedy though. You know, I think people think of comedy and they think of like blowing out the joke, right? They They think of like turning it all the way up to 10. The more I crank it up, the funnier it'll be, right? And a lot of times it's just too much um you need people who can do that then you need the people who can respond to that energy um and that's where for us we reside in like real world circumstances um we had this world of like either super dark stuff or really broad big comedies and there's a middle ground i think there's a middle ground i think eventually people burn out of both they don't want too dark and they don't want too goofy um and for me, it's always funnier that way if we play it real. we play it straight. You just give me a circumstance with conflict that you know can make my character particularly uncomfortable then just roll camera and I'll give you what he's going through,
0: yeah, you definitely do I'm squeezed and uncomfortable very well i'm 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 nervous and yeah. a little introverted, and yet I have to go out like you're
1: mm-hmm. you do that well, thank you I mean that's. Where I reside, I feel like, in life, <laughs> generally, I find myself, I mean, massively introverted. You know what I mean? It's, people think that because a lot of my career has been comedy that, like, I'm trying to be out here and I'm always trying to get a joke out of somebody or a laugh out of somebody. And like, I would prefer to just stay in the house and read a book. <laughs> so I always find a way to bring that aspect to the characters because I feel like that needs to be spoken for. How many of us are sitting in our own comedies, watching the extroverted world dance around us?
0: It's interesting to be an introverted actor because you got to push yourself in front of the audience, even if it's an imagined audience on television and you're kind of like, I just kind of want to be to myself. Are you like nervous in terms of getting over the hump to get on the stage?
1: No, because, I mean, but I use an introvert coping mechanism. So, like, all introverts have an extroverted face that they present to the world. That's how they get through life, especially in an extroverted society. Um, and that's just it. I know how to put on my face really well, um, <laughs> and I got good at that really, really young. Um, and most people that still you know, most know me personally, they always say that it's like you are absolutely nothing <laughs> like what you give people. I'm like, yeah, no, because like it's I'm pretty boring. I'm a fairly boring human being. <laughs> I got a lot of thoughts in my head, but like you don't see them when they come out. Um, and that's you know I, I learned how to put that on, particularly as a kid. Um, when it was most difficult, you know what I mean? When you're, you know, you want to kind of disappear at times, um, you find ways to adapt to what the world is requesting. of you.
0: So if you had your druthers today, you didn't have to do press. You didn't have to worry about mm. a job or a check. Would you, you would be at home with a book?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's what we, what I was doing before we started talking.
0: <laughs> what are you reading?
1: um i'm actually reading a book currently called uh quiet by susan kane and it's actually about you know introverts and adapting to their world um and you because that's one of those things whenever press comes up for me of like and here we back uh, here we are back out into the world having to like figure out how to do this although it's not in my you know nature initially um but yeah no i mean i love my favorite part of what i do is the prep you know, I love reading scripts and I love prepping characters and getting into their minds and figuring out why they do what they do. Um, performing it is, you know, I guess the cherry on top because I get to sit in somebody else's skin. But after that, I'm I'm completely satisfied. <laughs> if I can prep a character, execute, go home, I'm good to go.
0: So, so you get the script and you're thinking more a little more deeply about like who is he. You know, five years ago, 10 years ago, where does he come from?
1: Always, always, 100% of the time. It's the only way I can actually sit into to the, the human being. Um, I need to flesh him all the way out. And I think people don't think we do that for comedies. Right. But it's actually really important because when it comes down to improvise or you have those reaction shots, you got to know how this person feels on the inside about everything. Um, So the more of the backstory you can build for yourself, whether it be working with the writer or just, you know, our job as actors of giving them secrets that the audience and even the writers will never know um, that it helps me. It helps me feel the person. And I think, you know, empathically is where I feel purposeful in my work. Um, I'm not just making people laugh. I'm like getting into the root core of somebody.
0: Can you talk a little bit about some of the backstory for this character?
1: Yeah. I mean, we're going to see some of it, um, in episodes very soon. Um, but I think if you're just trying to get into his mind, you know, he's a black man who lives in a world where the standard of success is very high. Um, and you can't really find, or you don't see a lot of people who consider themselves successful, but not in positions of power. So he's struggling with this idea of how do I live a successful life based on what has been laid out for me while also having this thing. Now I'm finding where I love doing the on the ground work with these kids, but that's not glamorized. It's not a position where like, we know teachers don't make a lot of money. How does he exist in this world and in this space doing work that he knows will be overlooked to the majority of the time and won't be considered sexy or, um, ideal from a romantic standpoint, but this is the work that he feels he's supposed to do. That's um, been like a lot of times journaling that stuff from his perspective of like, I, I, how, how am I supposed to make my way in this world without climbing a ladder? What if this is it? What if it's just teaching these kids until I no longer feel purposeful in that anymore? What if I'm not working my way up the corporate ladder or becoming more powerful? what if this is just that? And I think in today's societies, particularly for millennial and like Gen Z men, that's difficult to grapple with.
0: You spend a lot of time journaling
1: as him. Yeah. I do that a lot for all, all of them. Pretty much. I have like journals for each character. Um, and I just I sit in the scenarios that come up in the context of the script. And try to get through their thought process, not necessarily to resolve anything, but just to hear what their internal dialogue about it is. Whenever you have, if we're doing your show in your life and there's a conflict that comes up, even if it's as simple as like, how am I going to make it to all the events in my life and show up as a man for all the people in my family? There's an internal dialogue that you have with yourself about how you prioritize those things to make that character real. I have to be able to have that internal dialogue.
0: And you're going to add to that journaling with every script because you learn a little bit more about the the above-the-line stuff, so then we're going to add a little bit more below-the-line.
1: Right. As things get added and, like, you know, Quinta does a really good job of giving me a heads-up of what's coming, Um, so then I can kind of, like, start already figuring that out. With film, it's a bit easier because, like, you can just start to finish. I know where I'm going. Um, But with this, it will be an ongoing, you know, process that, you know, knock on all the wood, um, give it years of being here, um, should be pretty extensive.
0: It's an interestingly female dominated um show, right? I mean, I guess you'd <laughs> expect that for like teaching young kids, but like the the big energy is coming from Quinton and Cheryl Lee Ralph, who's a legend, and Janelle James, who's amazing. Yeah. Um, let's talk about working with each of them because Quint is the boss. And she yes. clearly loves you um, and and her, her way of working is a certain way. Talk about working with her.
1: Quinta, she's a real, I mean, she was always a good writer, but I say on this, she became a really good producer. Um, she knows what she wants, um, but she approaches the way she works in a way that's very healthy. And I don't think a lot of producers should like really take note um, she understands that not for everybody to do their best job, they need to feel good about what they're doing. There's not many power dynamics, um, within our show. Uh, we understand who is the boss and who does what, but the way we speak to each other is as a collaborative ensemble. Um, and that's what I think, you know, it allows us to take the risks that we take in our performances as we know that we're supported by the boss. Who's also a cast member who also wants to see us thrive. Who also asks us, you know, what do you need from me in this? What makes this performance easier? Um, But I've always gravitated to female-led like story dynamics, just because I find there's so much more interesting. Um, I think we've we've seen particularly TV be like a male-dominated space, and then in this new modern era, where especially at ABC with like you know all of Shonda's stuff, and but you're like seeing that. Yo, these are great vehicles not just to represent for representations point of view, but there's storylines here we weren't tapping. That's why I was feeling stale. Um that it, it I love watching them do what they do. It's one of the great honors of my career. I love great acting at the end of the day. Like I can just sit up and watch it all day. And between Janelle, Cheryl, Lisa and Quinta, I just I get that all day long.
0: Well, wait, Paul. before we go into Cheryl and Janelle, who are great television actors for you who you really look to and kind of learn from and watch closely?
1: Well, um, huge, huge, huge question. Um, <laughs> you know, although it's, 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 a, it's another network, I think uh, Sterling Brown's work is very nuanced and on the ground. But you can see also how you know has that comedy vein as well, and his ability to. And I think anyone who takes a film approach to how they work to TV, they're going to be very entertaining for me. Um, The you know the entire cast of Succession is doing that, and that's why it's working so well for them is they're approaching it. You know, character first. Um, But then there's also those like I want to see. I would love to see Kerry Washington back on TV, but I know she's doing a whole of the producing thing now, but you know, no one can eat a monologue like Carrie. (laughs) And that's like, you know, it's, that's peak to me. It's if you had to say peak acting, that's like peak acting of like, it's just a monologue and it's just you drive it. Um, And she's just so interesting to watch. I wish she would do more TV, but you know, she gave us a one really big one. And that's, you know, we should be happy with that.
0: (laughs) Succession is an interesting example um, because I think we learned recently one of the characters or one of the actors is approaching the whole thing entirely different, right, than everybody else, Mm -hmm. right? They're like, uh, Jeremy Strong thinks that it's a drama. Everyone else thinks it's a Uh comedy. He doesn't prepare with them, and they're like, we would like to prepare with him, but he (laughs) refuses to do that. That would be kind of hard that one main character is doing the whole thing entirely different than everybody else.
1: I mean, but I've worked on projects where it was you know kind of like that and that was the case um and i think that's what makes projects well-rounded in a lot of ways like when we shot the u.s versus billy holiday i i mean i was we were doing press for it and i was talking about how i found out more about trevante Rhodes in press than i did ever shooting the movie with him for four months because it lended to his character not knowing us that well Mm -hmm. And we had to live in another film, which was, you know, we understood the stakes of what the movie was. But our job was to be a fun, like, ensemble family for Billy. We're supposed to really flesh out her world, so we approached it differently than he had to. And you bring all those different pieces in, and that's how you make this, like, beautiful canvas that is uh, film and television. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes somebody focusing and approaching this, like, you know, um, what was, I think it was Dave Grohl recently I saw. maybe he didn't say it recently he said that he was listening to the gap band when he recorded the nirvana album wow drums wow and it's like sometimes you need funk drums under indie rock to make it we don't think about it that way but that's where he was at and that's what makes that album what it is
0: influencer it's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days there is a woman who went the distance who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name,
1: Elizabeth Taylor.
0: I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original
1: influencer. This is Elizabeth I.
0: We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door, thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick...
1: Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen.
0: So Cheryl Lee Ralph is a legend. She's been doing this mm-hmm. for, you know, longer than, you know, whatever. I mean, like, talk about working with her. And, yeah, talk about working with her and just how, you know, she's very restrained on the show. She seems very mm-hmm. above it all and like, you know, kind of kind of queenly and regal, kind of.
1: Well, I feel like I'm always surprised when I see Cheryl driving to the set, because I feel like it's like it should be a carriage with a horse and that's being drawn as her subjects wave at her. It just feels so weird to see her like driving behind the wheel. I'm like, no, have someone do that for you, your royalty. <laughs> but um I'm 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 really I my brother had done a show with Cheryl for four years called Um Instant Mom. So I'd seen, it was a multi multicam, so I'd seen a good amount of her work in real time, not just her resume as well. And what I was shocked at in this one was still how versatile she is. She can adapt to really any style, and I don't think people have fully grasped that. If you look at the work that she's done, she's hit every aspect. She still maintains the Cheryl Lee Ralph of it all. You never feel like she's not a queen And she isn't like actual, and when I say queen, I mean like actual royalty. She has subjects and responsibilities and she (laughs) rules a kingdom well. Um, But she shifts as the industry shifts, which is one of those kind of like Betty White in that sense of like just a timeless talent who as trends have come and gone, she's maintained and worked through all of them. And hopefully with this show, people actually really get that with her. Um, because, you know, we talk about giving flowers and I think she's one that gets missed.
0: Um, Janelle James is just burning through the, the celluloid or like, she's so funny and she's on a completely different vibe. Y'all are very like, this is very serious. This is very important. (laughs) You know, and she's like, child, please. I'm trying to, I'm trying to take care of mine.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I, Janelle, I have so much fun so much fun watching her and i feel like i was telling Quinta, i was like good for you you got her while the price of the brick was low because it's about to go up for everybody else (laughs) it's about to go up she was one of those people who like i'm always incredibly grateful to actors like janelle because they allow me to do where what i do and where i feel comfortable by driving the energy of a scene she's like a drummer you know what I mean if she's not there to keep pace, where are we um uh, it's 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 we've yet to really see the magnitude of what she's capable of doing um i'm I'm really you know hopefully upon a season two, just would love to see her getting let off the leash even more even and, more, and, and just like run
0: and her timing in different scenes is just completely different.
1: I mean, she plays drums like this is something to like actually connect. She actually plays the drums, And I think so much of comedy is rhythm and feeling out where the timing is. And you seeing her ability to switch timing is like switching time signatures. She's doing something that like people don't really pick up on it's like genius level stuff. And I'm not saying that simply because she's on my show and she's a friend and stuff. I would be a fan of this in the way she's working. If I was just a viewer.
0: Talk to me a little bit more about the science of comedy. You've done a lot of comedy in your mm-hmm. life and you talk about mm-hmm. rhythm and timing. What else does it take, um, to be really good at comedy?
1: You need to have an internal, um, like comedy thermostat you need to be able to feel like there's times in my day where i'm like watching the other day i watched um it's gonna sound bad but like i watched a car accident um hopping in real time and it wasn't bad everyone was fine but there was something about the rhythm at which the car accident happened that i had to stop and go that's hilarious that's really objectively funny it just is and you have to be able to feel that and i think what shocks me at times, because I guess I started so young, is seeing people who can't feel it, who can't tell if something was funny. It's something that comes up for a lot of actors now because, you know, we're still kind of in quarantine protocols by way of like auditioning and all of that goes. So we're sending tapes. So a lot of people are complaining about not being able to go into the room for comedies because they can't feel if it's landing or if it's funny. You know, if if no one laughs, and I'm like, I don't need anyone to laugh. I, you just you should be able to feel that that yep that's the time that's where it's supposed to be. Um, I think Steve Harvey had said it once, and somebody had asked him to like teach a comedy class, and he was like, "Well, I'm gonna start off here and tell you this. If you need the class, it's probably not me." <laughs> <laughs> and that's just that's kind of what comedy's like, you know. It's either you feel it or you don't. Either it's like uh, James Brown he's not going to sit here and tell you what note specifically to play and, you know, what's time signature and put this in. It Does it feel good? Then that's what you're doing. And that's what you have to, you have to be there for comedy. And it, unfortunately, for me, at least, it's, it's either you got it or you don't.
0: Sometimes it comes in the the pause and the silence,
1: you know? Exactly. Yeah. If, if you can't feel that, and it, it's, you know, very improvisational at times, too. You know, you have to look at What did somebody else in this scene just do? Oh, I'm watching it and then sitting here and waiting for the beat to come from me to play off the thing that they just did. And that way it's like jazz. It's like I'm listening and observing while also contributing at the same time. Um, so I think your brain has to be able to split in multiple ways. It needs to be able to perceive and create simultaneously. Um, because timing is 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 really everything. But if you don't have that internal compass that lets you know if something is or isn't funny, it's just going to frustrate you.
0: This is one of the things about your character that I like. You are pretty much the last one in, right? Like, you you just mm-hmm. got hired. You kind of got introduced late in terms of the introduction of the characters. And right. it, you kind of have this, this look of, like, this can't be this bad. Like, I can't believe mm-hmm. how all this is going. To, like, the other ones have been there for years. Yeah. You just got there. You're like, this can't possibly be this bad. Yes, it, it, and you'll, like, crinkle up the face in this way that's like, this can't be real. Like, yeah.
1: Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, I mean, I, I love characters that speak for the audience because that's really what right. my function is, right? right? My job is for them to see it through kind of my eyes of how bad this is. And that's why, you know, when we have those, fourth wall breaks. I'm looking at (laughs) y'all. I'm looking at y'all like, you know, do you see what I'm seeing here? We're having this moment together. Um, And I think that, you know, even going back to like, everybody hates Chris is what connected me. I feel like two audiences very particularly. I'm looking at y'all. Y'all are experiencing things. I'm experiencing it. And I'm hopefully channeling what you're feeling at the same time. Um, So that's, what's also fun with this character is being able to experience the other characters with the audience.
0: There was this great, the great scene with you and Quinta, where you guys were looking at the kids drawings and you were Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what that is. And she's like, Oh, well that's an airplane. Oh, well that's a King. Oh, well that's you. And, and and as a parent, I'm like, I know what she's doing because I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm looking like, yeah, it's clearly a King. And she's like, it's a King. And I'm like, yeah, because parents get the parent eyes, and if you haven't been there, you're like, "Looks like mishmash to me." No, 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 that's clearly the sky. That no, that's the That's Santa Claus. That was that was a brilliant, brilliant scene.
1: Yeah, yeah we we I mean, the way that came together, that came together really well. We riffed that like five minutes before we started shooting it, um, because there was no way to really write it because we didn't know, you know, what was art department gonna get together of kid drawings. So when we finally saw them all laid out. We just kind of started walking around. And the good thing is I don't have any kids. So I really don't know what some of that is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I don't, I can't do any of that. I can't translate. There was some I was like, obviously. But others, I'm, as we're going through it, I'm like, I'm really looking at this going, what is happening here? What is this supposed to be? And from that, we just, we stitched together what ended up, you know, coming out. Uh, we did a few passes at it. But that's what is also really fun about this show is, you know, we're all coming from different points of view. And if you can use the point of view that you're coming from in your real life of just really not fully understanding, what is this? What are they trying to articulate here? That's a do-rag? How do you draw a do-rag? I'm now <laughs> conflicted. Like, maybe that's a, that is a good job he did there because I don't know how I would draw that. It's, you know, it, it was nice. But we, we brought that together really quickly. Um, I, I was surprised it worked that well.
0: So, yeah, you were Chris on Everybody Hates Chris, and that is, um, um, uh, that was a landmark show that, like, Mm -hmm. everybody was, like, you know, eager before it came out, what is this going to be, you know, because Chris Rock was, he remains massive, but he was massive at that time, and now that was a life-changing role for you. You were a baby
1: yeah, life-changing in, in, in a lot of ways, some that were you know, positive, some that were you know took some learning curves. Um, I was 12 um, and just knew that I, I liked the arts and knew that I liked this acting thing and becoming other people, but was still very much so the person that I am you know today. Um, and it was, it was life-changing in the sense of you know it afforded me the opportunity to do more of the work that I really love to do. Um, also put a lot of eyeballs on me that I did not expect to show, <laughs> uh, that fast. Um, so, you know, it comes with it, it's upsides and it's down. Um, but it, it, it did change the conversation for me. Yeah.
0: Well, what are some of the things you talk about, like the learning curve, some of the harder parts of that? Cause I think we can all mm-hmm. imagine, you know, actors, young actors, stars in a show like that, you know, you, you walk in the door, people know who you are, but you're right. like, some of it was harder for you. So what was the harder parts?
1: Uh, the harder parts is like, you know, I think when we, we were all in our teams, we all have this idea of, you know, wanting to fit in and and please. Um, and when there's that many people to please, um, it's much, much harder to learn that you can't please everybody, that you're going to piss somebody off, that someone's not going to like what you did. um, And the stakes are a bit higher as well. So I think that, you know, I didn't have as much, I had like everybody else had, But then, also had this underlying thing of like, there's a career running through this. And if you don't know who the right people are in the right rooms, that could negatively affect you five to 10 years later. So I think I had to learn how to relax in that way and like lower the stakes. Um, I think another thing was just learning how to have that many eyeballs on you at any given time. I think it was a show that really crept into people's houses and they felt like, you know, we lived with them. but. You know, as a kid and you're walking through the supermarket or through the airport and you feel everyone staring at you, (laughs) it's, it's, it's a lot, especially, you know, as you're going through puberty and like one of the most awkward times of your life. Um, so I think I, I had to learn how to get used to the eyeballs. Now I can be outside and I can, as I'm walking by people, I can see them clock me from three blocks down. You know what I mean? I can, I can hear all the conversations constantly and still stay in the moment. But as a kid, that was hard to do. Uh, Very did, hard to do. Did,
0: did Rock ever give you any advice about comedy or acting that stuck with you?
1: No. No. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> that's just... <laughs> no. Um, I think people, because the show, the way it aired, with these VOs that were paired along with what we were shooting. I think people thought that he was there more frequently than he was. But you can do VO from Amen. anywhere. And as you were saying, at the time he's red hot. So he's shooting, you know, films and doing stand-up specials. And then just kind of going into a booth and recording these voiceovers for what we shot. Um so, there wasn't, we didn't actually have much interaction. I tell people now, I'm like, every time we interacted, there was a photo taken. So, y'all could find it. <laughs> y'all could see it. You saw every time I saw it, it was taken, the photo was taken. Because um, he was very busy at the time.
0: I mean, if if Everybody Hates Chris brought you to a certain level of fame, then you get on The, the Walking Dead, which was mm-hmm. uh, one of the biggest shows. In television, what was it like? 20 some million people are watching. Yes, it was some stupid number.
1: Yeah, some ridiculous number. So so
0: then you could barely walk down the street without somebody being like, Yo, walking dead, what's up?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting like conflict of my career in life. The thing that I do when I do it sometimes brings more eyeballs, which I'm like, Ah, don't know how to. I've not found a way to rectify those two (laughs) yet. Um, but that show. Yeah, That was, you know, one of my favorite working experiences that I've ever had with like really talented actors. I think that was the first time I saw other actors who were the same way, who, you know, as you can see, most of them, especially from that time, they're very low key cast. Um, You know, Stephen is still doing his thing. He's got nominated for the Oscar last year. But outside of that, you don't really hear from him. Um, And that was the first time I had found that. Validated in me to be able to do that work with that particular group of people, but then also maintain a like really low key life.
0: That show freaked
1: me out, man. That show got real violent, real <laughs> oh, freaky. <yeah. laughs> Yeah, you mean like when they ripped my face in half? Yes, yes, it got it got dark, it got, and that was another one. I was like, I got to do something light. <laughs> I just got ripped to pieces in front of one of my best friends. Now I got to do something else.
0: <laughs> Yo, when when Dear White People came out, I went yeah. to see it um, the first Saturday night. It was out, and the audience mm-hmm. was about 75% black it was it was lincoln mm-hmm. uh, up 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 uptown in in on the west side and um yeah. um i mean the audience was doing everything that you would hope like yelling at the screen and laughing as one at big moments and like getting all the, i mean that movie was a bit of a landmark for a lot of yeah. us and you had a pivotal pivotal role that was that was a, that was a big moment
1: yeah man that was um that was a very interesting time in my life and in my career, I was like, I knew I needed something to shake it up. I was coming, I want to say when I did that, I was like maybe nineteen, twenty. Um, we had just wrapped Everybody Hates Chris like two or three years prior. Um, and I was doing work here and there, but I felt like I needed something that kind of changed the conversation and changed the game a bit. And then there was this script that hit my desk called Dear White People. Which, like, in today's world, you can imagine doing a project like that. But back then, I want to say it was, like, 2012, (laughs) we knew that either this was going to kill us all (laughs) and, like, end our careers, or it was going to be great. Um, And I remember it was terrifying. Man, We didn't know how that was going to be received. We we knew that we liked it um, and that we felt like what was in it needed to be said. But it could have like that could have been career suicide at the time. Um, <laughs> it just happened to work out, <laughs> and everybody from that you know Lena Waites' career shot off after that. Tesla Thompson went from indie actress to A list, um, and that, then now there's a whole there was a whole show that ran for four years um, after that. So it was it was it was a scary time. It was scary, but it was like you know that's when I found that the best projects are usually the ones that's gonna scare the shit out of you,
0: right. Right, right, right. I mean, I definitely yeah. f- I feel that in all kinds of creative things of like if you are nervous going into it and you're like how am I going to pull this off? Then you have a chance to be great when it's when it's when it's like, "Oh, I know exactly how to do this." Like there's no tension.
1: Yeah, there's no I mean, for me, I look at projects two different ways, right? Either it's a financial move, which means it's something in my wheelhouse that I know that I'm capable of doing, which stabilizes me to be able to do the things that I'm looking at going, ah, I don't know if we could pull this off, but let's do it. Let's do it. Let's take, let's run it. And that's the creative side. Um, and that I love that feeling. Now I love the feeling of like, this may not work. And there's been several things I've done that sometimes it doesn't, it just doesn't work, but that's, the, <laughs> that's the risk that you take when you roll the dice to feel that thing.
0: What does eating healthy mean to you?
1: That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hi, I'm Shantae, the host of Edges. Edges is a storytelling podcast where black hair and mental health intersect. It's about all the choices that we make with our hair, all of the choices that are made for us, all of the things that we have no control over and how that all really impacts our identity, both how we feel about ourselves, and how the world perceives us, for better or for worse. Subscribe to Edges on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen.
0: So you've been part of several iconic shows now. Mm -hmm. I ask everybody this question, you know, what does being Black mean to you in terms of the work that you do?
1: it's a huge part of the work that I do. Um, for me, I've always wanted to show the black men on screen that I wish I could have seen. Mm. Um, I felt like I fell into this middle ground that wasn't represented a lot where I was, you know, really empathic, but also like fairly quiet and focused and loved and felt things deeply. Um, but it felt like it was either, okay, you were that. And then there was this like a neptitude that came with it, or you were this like really smooth guy, or you were, you know, this really hood dude. And I was like, I don't fit really into any of those, um, especially in the early two thousands. And I, you know, I struggled with that as I grew up. And I think for me, I want to give black men who are like me permission to exist. To just be you're you're there. We see you 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 are. It's not just you, you were here. And I think the less we give of a binary, um, with that, particularly for Black men, I think the healthier we can all be. Um, if that happens to be your experience, great. But if you're in that middle ground in between, you need to know that that's okay as well.
0: No, that's really powerful and um affirming. I mean, like I'm not like. Super right. macho shaft dude, you right. know? But I'm not like you know a Kleenex either. And like, <laughs> exactly. can I live? Exactly. And like, you've been yeah. one of those people who've been like, yeah, like we can walk this middle ground together. And like, you know what? You're you're a man and you're black too. Even though we're here in this middle space.
1: Yeah, and that's what I think. From Everybody Hates Chris forward, I've you know tried to do. Has just been this like interesting conversations that's been happening online. I try not to see any of them, but every now and then someone sends me something um, about like, you know, this quote unquote glow up that happened with me. And I was like, first off, you expect me to be sexy at 12? Look at that. <laughs> you probably look at that. <laughs> but two, <laughs> I look like your average black American. And if you don't think that that, as a child or, and you know, your early twenties and your adolescence, or as a man now is still beautiful in its own right, then that's why I exist in the space that I exist in. Um, I don't need to be one or the other. I don't need to constantly dominate. And I don't, like you said, need to be a Kleenex. I can be right in the middle. I'm your brother. I'm your cousin. I'm that boy from down the street. I'm the dude that you met at church. I'm the guy at the airport. I'm ultimately the man that will love you and you love in some aspect of your life in some way. Um, and I think that that needs to be, that's what I really love about Gregory Eddie with Abbott elementary is it gives me another opportunity to sit in that space stoically and just exist. And that's, that's, that's the triumph to me of that.
0: So let me ask you something a little more personal, um, but about your your ideas and your thoughts, mm-hmm. right? Cause a lot of the conversation around what it means to be black the last several years has been about how we feel about the police. Right. And your father is a right. cop, right? Right. So well, it um, used to be, yeah. used to be. So I'm curious how you feel in terms of, I have this experience with my father. I know he's a good guy. I know, you know, I, I have a deep relationship with a police officer mm-hmm. and at the same time I have this information from the world that's coming in about how they treat us. So I wonder where mm-hmm. wh- where you fall in terms of how you feel about uh, the police and Black people.
1: You know, I have an interesting perspective with that. Most people don't see it that way. And this is the aspects of cops that they don't see frequently. I was told about everything and knew about everything that most Black people are from my Black father, who also happened to be a cop, who knew that's the interesting thing is like we're not shocked by any of this. The first person to put me in handcuffs was my father going, I'm going to show you what this feels like Whoa. so that this isn't you. And understand that when you see a cop, I know the culture of where I work. I exist in this space. You, I mean, I think a lot of times we forget that there are black people existing in spaces that are difficult for them to exist in because someone has to be there. Someone has to, you know, we want to just throw all of these things away, but someone's got to be in that space. And, you know, he worked for the NYPD at a time where it was wild. It was all types of stuff was happening. And we were the first ones to hear about that when he got home. Here's what happens. Yes, you are a black man in America. They are literally looking to lock you up. When there was a, um, we had that, uh, what was it, a broken window policy. I believe, in New York, where it's yeah. like, no, you violate anything. They will take, I'm getting this told to me coming down. You have to understand the world that you live in. Um, he was a very practical cop. And he was one of those, which I wish more people did it that way. He just, come on. I'm not trying to save the world. It's not what I'm here to do. I'm here from, I think he worked four to 12 at the time, from four to 12 to stand on this block, make sure nothing happens on this block. That's it. I go home. At the end of the day, I'm not chasing nobody. I'm not, You know what I mean? It's like, I'm here to do my job. And there's this thing that's happening a lot, you know, currently of this hero over policing. That's kind of happening where they feel like, no, I this is on me. I have to do it. Um, that we just didn't experience um, from his point of view. He was very much, I'm going to work and I'm coming home.
0: Tell me about him putting you in handcuffs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. There's, he was like, one of the things that happens, at least he was saying from his experience, is that there's this shock that people have when they go on for the first time. Like, they didn't know this was possible, and the reality becomes real. So he put me in them, and he sat there, and he was like, now, see, could you move? Could how, you get up? How Can old? you walk around? Uh, <sighs> I don't want to say I was 10, I don't want to say I was 10 yet. Wow. So at some point in early adolescence, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, no, that I, I couldn't have been 10. Couldn't have been. Um, so he did that and he had me sit there with him. He's like, my job is to make sure that you are never in this position. So I'm going to tell you all the ways that could get you into this position, even the ones that aren't fair. Because you got to know it. You have to understand that. And that's where we had that conversation, which it was very particular. It was like it was a beautiful moment in some ways, um, but also a dark moment. But we, I saw him reckon with the fact of like, I know what I'm hearing. I know what people are asking of me. And I have black sons at home. I need to make sure that they have as much of this information as possible. Um, and, I, you know, I thank him for that. Because you know, I've had to had handcuffs on several times in films and things like that. It was like, weren't wasn't my like last time, but since then I've never had it happen um, in 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 the real world scenario.
0: It's crazy that you guys had the talk. Everybody right gets the talk. Everyone you, has the talk.
1: We but you, still have it. But you yeah.
0: went in a whole different. I mean, <laughs> a deeper direction with it.
1: Yeah, and that's. He taught in the Academy for 10 years. And I remember when watching the Eric Gardner footage, I looked at him and there, it wasn't shock on his face, which was very interesting. It wasn't shock, but he very stoically said, we teach you not to do that literally. And that's, what's been interesting in this perspective. He can go, I can bring up curriculum. You were directly taught never to put anybody in a chokehold, but I'm not shocked. It, it, it hit differently. It, it hit different because I think a lot of people were having these arguments, but like, well, what can the police do and what can't they do? And, this, and he was like, "No, you're not supposed to do that." He knows that, and he knows he's not supposed to do that, but he's doing it, and this is why. And he know he knew who he was working with at times, and that they weren't. You know, not all cops are bad you know what i mean we need law and order we need policing but i think he was very acutely aware of what he likes to call these like case heads that were in there for the power of it all that they don't weed out
0: what is your back to acting your future vision um for you and your career what do you want to do and achieve in let's say five years
1: Uh, the, the purpose of my work will always be to, you know, be what we talked about, right? To stand in the space for those who are like me, who do not see enough of themselves. Um, but I think uh, I'm just now coming to a place where I'm okay with having conversations from a development point of view um, and telling stories that I think are particularly interesting. Um, I, I think I, for a long time, was very focused on being a vessel and being the best vessel that I possibly could. Um, And that will always be in the forefront. But now, you know, as the world of industry is evolving and changing, um, there's more room to tell stories that are even further on the fringes. And like, like, let's get super specific. I want individual people to feel represented um, that are very, very specific, like down to the minutiae of it all. So I think in the next five, I'm going to, you know, attempt to dabble in that space, of tell stories that, you know, matter to me that, I would ultimately develop.
0: What, um, <clears throat> what, what, what talent or attitude has propelled you throughout your career? A lot of people hit one of these sort of highlights and you mm-hmm. know don't get back to that level. And you've hit it numerous times. So, what, what, what talent or mm-hmm. attitude has helped propel you through this acting career?
1: I say it to my agent all the time. Keep your head down, silence the noise, do the work. That's it. Those are the three things I'm here to do. Um, I think people get caught up in maintaining the fame and the celebrity of it all, which is like the Achilles heel most of the time. People talk too much. Um, and then all of a sudden, now you've ruined something for yourself. Um, I, I love the work, I really love the work. Um, I love prepping characters. I love living in their skin. I love finding the gray areas, love things that, you know, it's not all right. It's not all wrong. They're figuring themselves out. Um, that's what I'm going to keep doing and what I've been doing up until this point. If something does well, I appreciate y'all appreciating it. Um, I appreciate you watching it and talking about it, but that's not my job. My job is to just head down, silence.
0: What, what is the hardest career thing that you've overcome?
1: The child actor trap, the child actor trap. There's a like, a, there's a definite trap there that a lot of people fall into. Um, You know, I think more recently we've seen Zendaya do it really well. She got, you know, she saw it and she moved around it. Um, And it's hard because for each person has got to be different. There's no like formula. Um for me, it was that it was the, don't try to maintain this. It will then drop off, go away and come back and go away and come back and always come back with something, um, that is good and, you know, feels heartfelt and is challenging. Um, I think that, that, that was the hardest one to overcome. It took, it took, i had a feeling it would take about you know a decade and, to concretely do.
0: So wait, so how do you avoid it cuz you're right, a lot of people who have that success uh you know as children actors don't become adult stars. So how mm-hmm. how do you make that transition?
1: The first step that everyone misses is after you have your first hit, that's not the time to relax. It's actually the time to work harder. That's what a lot of people miss. They think, "Oh, well I have a hit now. People are asking for me to do things." I don't have to grind the way I used to more than likely with the first hit, they're going to be giving you a bunch of offers of things that you've already done. So you end up typecasting yourself by taking those offers. You have to go back to the drawing board and start over. Um, And I know that can be disheartening for a lot of people to hear of like, well, I fought all the way here to get this hit. Right. And now you just, now you have to see show them that you can do something outside of that as well. Um, And I think that's the first point a lot of people miss. Um, For me, it was, after every big hit, like it's going to happen after this. Cause it seems like this is a, this is a hit, you know, kind of in the making is I'll take a few years to deconstruct my acting that people have seen too much of it. They've just seen too much of it, especially in TV. You know, when people see you week to week, to week to week, if you're doing the same performances in one role and another, they'll see and go, Oh, you're, that's just you. It's not a character. That's just who you are. Um, so you kind of need that time to go away, deconstruct your work, and then come back to the drawing board with something new. Um, that's the biggest one. I mean, it, it gets ninety five percent of the field. It really does.
0: Wow, wow, wow. <clears throat> so you, you, I mean, you're 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 talking about your skill and your craft, or just I don't want you to your see your skill.
1: Me be- your skill, your craft, and your performance. I mean, if, if you watch people's performances, right, partic- like we, we talk about it from time to time, There's some people who have a bag, like um, Kyrie Irving has a layup bag and a handle bag, right? If you watch the way he plays, you can see what he's about to do because you know his bag if you really focus on it. Actors have the same thing. We have bags. We have things that we pull out at certain moments for certain genres, for different scenes, and, you know, all of that. Every time you have a hit, you kind of have to empty the bag <laughs> and start over because people. Unless you have one of those iconic bags, like uh, Denzel has one, for example, right? His is just iconic. It's something we can watch all day long. <laughs> he can do it over and over again. I love it. He finds a way to incorporate it into you know all of his work. Um, but especially when you're young, if you default to the natural talent that you came in with and you don't dig deeper and find some deeper truth, some more vulnerability, like get vulnerable. Don't gloss it over with the ego of whatever's happening. Get to the root of you, what breaks you, and bring that out into your work, whether it be comedy or not. Um, If you don't do that, people will eventually catch on and they'll get tired. They'll get tired of what you do because you're just regurgitating the same thing.
0: Some of it is a little beyond the child star's control, right? Because you're cute. We get to uh, appreciating and loving the way you look when you're 12, 13, whatever it is. And then Mm -hmm. when you grow up, maybe you're still attractive to the audience. Maybe you're not. Like, you don't really have any control over that.
1: Mm -hmm. No, you don't. But if you're leaning on it, then that's your handicap. You can't lean, and that's the thing. A lot of child actors don't get is what got you here. You have to amend in a way because it's and it's the hardest thing in the world, right? When we see something that works, it's not broken. Why should I fix it? Because you haven't really seen that it will break at some point. Um, so if you're leaning on that, you gotta let it go, and you have to go out there and compete with all the other adult actors? What were they at? What work are they doing? What makes you think that you don't have to do that as well? Um, that's at least always the way I've looked at it. I think it works differently for different people, but I think you'll see those who made that transition as well. Um, Zendaya being one of them. From Disney to Euphoria, someone obviously reworked their entire game. And that's that's usually what it takes.
0: It's funny you keep yeah. bringing her up because we just saw Spider-Man and I'm mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm going through Euphoria and I'm like, yo, it's her world. We're just, it's her world. we're just living in it.
1: Look at how many Disney kids came up from her era who, you know, it's not luck. And I think a lot of people look at it luck or they'll say, you know, she's kind of got that, that whole model thing going on as well, but she doesn't bring, that's not what you're getting in Euphoria. That's not what you're getting in Spider-Man. You're getting a good actor. This is somebody who went, I know how to do that bright, multi-cam kid stuff, but now I'm going to go deep into my work and change it and appeal to an older audience by going to places that other people are scared of. I don't think people, fo- I mean, she's killing it everywhere. And like, it's kind of weird to say that she's underrated, but she is still. She, the work that she had to do to get there, there's a whole well of stuff that's still in her that she's capable of doing that. I don't think people understand what it takes to make that transition. And I'm super excited to watch where she goes.
0: Last thing, your superpower, and you've kind of talked about this, but I ask everybody this, what is the thing that you do better than other people that has led to the success that you have had?
1: Oh, empathy. I can feel, I can can empathize with anybody. Um, I can put myself in the position of that person's shoes and I can feel their pain. I can feel their discomfort. I can feel all of it. And it's sometimes it's hard for me to control. Um, like I got to really watch myself in relationships and stuff like that, like people who I get close to, cause I'll take on what's happening in their lives and it's, I'll feel it literally in my body. Um, I've ended up in the hospital several times because of it. And that's like, it's, it's that real for me. And I had to learn how to control it and decide who I let that energy um, go to. But at the end of the day, empathy, that's, that's, that's all of it.
0: What do you mean you went to the hospital because of empathy?
1: Oh, okay. So way to connect to other thoughts. I have Crohn's disease, right? And what Crohn's disease does is your immune system overactivates and it attacks aspects of your gut. Um, and I can trace back pretty much every flare I've had to either sitting in something that didn't feel right in my skin or feeling the stress of other people that I didn't necessarily have. Like my doctors were like, why are you so stressed? Out? <laughs> They're like, life's not that bad from what I understand. But depending on who I'll have around, I'll then I'll pull it. And it'll send me into flare-ups. And then I'll be sitting in the hospital for like four days. And I'm like, I know what I did. <laughs> I should know. Identified with that person in their struggle as much as I should have. Um, so it's a good guardrail for me. It's a good, like, boundary. Yes. Um, but that's what developed. So, yeah,
0: you have to be really careful about who you allow into your circle for your uh, health.
1: My literal health. Yeah. No, I've, I've had to purge people that, you know, I've loved deeply um and cared about deeply simply because we weren't at the same place and i i struggle with not empathizing with people when they're in a place and taking on their problems as if they are my own so it's 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 we can love each other from afar um, which was hard very very hard to do to create that boundary but it is necessary
0: Thanks so much to Tyler for a great interview and thanks to you for listening. Toray Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. Maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Toray and on Instagram at Toray Show. Toray Show is written by me, Toray, and produced by J.K. Garfano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shonda Covington and Nick Karp. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door. Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight.